Hebrews chapter 12, I want to leave with you this morning, especially the verse 5. Though we are looking at that passage of scripture which we read, verses 5 through to 11. But verse 5, particularly, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. The chastening of the Lord. So here is God coming to us in this verse of scripture and in this passage of God's word. He's coming to us as a father to his children. And Paul is quoting verses 11 to 12 of Proverbs chapter 3. That commences my son here in verse 5 and goes on to the end of verse 6. He's actually lifting those words out of Proverbs chapter 3. And it seems to me that he's putting those words, my son, into the mouth of God. And so it's not just Solomon addressing his son, but it is God addressing his children. God saying to his child, my son, my children. That's how God speaks to his people. He speaks so kindly. He speaks with gentleness. He speaks lovingly and patiently. And what is God speaking to his child about in our text this morning? Well, he's speaking to his child about chastisement, the chastening of a heavenly father, the chastening of the Lord. It's about the discipline of his children. So that's what God is addressing us about. And the the key word throughout this paragraph is chastening or chastisement. You have it there in verse 5, the chastening of the Lord. Verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Verse 7, if ye endure chastening. What son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Verse 8, if ye be without chastisement. Then verse 10, for a few days chastened us. Verse 11, Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. So there are all these words, chastening, chastisement. There are parallel words as well, such as rebuked, thou art rebuked of him, and scourgeth, he scourgeth every son, and fathers of our flesh which corrected us. So there are all these words that make it beyond any doubt what God is talking about. Our discipline. Our chastening. Now we have to ask, why is God bringing up this subject here? Why is Paul writing about it at all? It's not just because Paul has, you know, decided, I think I'll talk about chastisement. No, that's not the reason. It's clear that the people of Hebrews need this. Because they're going through afflictions. And Paul is bringing the subject of chastening in relation to their afflictions. So he's helping them. It's a pastoral need. 
why this subject has arisen in this portion of the epistle to the Hebrews. God doesn't have to give this talk to us whenever everything's well and rosy. Whenever we are in the ivory tower of comfort and ease and there are no troubles, God doesn't have to give us this talk then. But no, the Hebrews are in the storm. The Hebrews are going through a difficult time. They're on the battlefield. They're in the house of mourning. They're on the bed of sickness or something like that. They're in the midst of persecution. And so God is putting his arm around his suffering children and he's saying, my son, don't despise this chastening of the Lord. So it's a pastoral concern. And God is coming as a kind of a pastor to his flock, the shepherd to his people. You see, these believers, as I've often said, are not finding the pilgrimage easy. It's a battle. And they're having trouble in the Christian life. And they're wearied. And they're having fainting fits under the trials. They're worn down. And there's a danger even that some of them may give up and abandon the faith. And stop coming to the meetings and things like that. And so there's a real need here. And Paul wants them to recognize that all these troubles are part of God's discipline. They're kind of chastisements. And he wants them to recognize this so that they will guard themselves against certain attitudes. You see, it's possible to adopt a wrong attitude to your trouble. And he warns about that, these wrong attitudes to trials and chastisements and afflictions. And there are particularly three things that he wants to warn them about. He wants to warn them about becoming bitter. That's possible under trouble and affliction, especially persecution at the hands of others, becoming bitter. And so he warns them in verse 15 about bitterness, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. So that's something we have to guard against. And if we know that all of this is part of the discipline of us by our Heavenly Father, that guards you against bitterness. Because we can never be better against our God, our Father. But then another danger is the danger of despising these trials, despising these troubles. And so my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord there's a danger that you'll just cast them off and you'll take them lightly and you'll adopt a, a hard response. You'll shrug it off and you'll take a stoic attitude and you'll just ignore them or just go on as if you're tough and you can go through them without the need of the Lord. Or perhaps you will say, well, you know, these aren't, God has nothing to do with this. God is not in this. Everything should be rosy for me as a Christian. And so you despise these afflictions and you cast them aside and you kind of say they're nothing to do with God. But you shouldn't despise them because they're the chastening of the Lord. And they're not to be cast aside lightly as if God has somehow nothing to do with them. So that's the danger of taking them lightly, of shrugging them off. What your father is doing to you through these trials. Another danger is fainting. Neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. So this is the danger that you, you get worn out under the trial and you just, you know, you give up. 
you faint. You just go to pieces and fall apart. And you don't walk with the Lord anymore. And that's the danger in troubles and trials. They get too much for you. And you you fall to pieces under it all. And you kind of say, well, if I I was a child of God, God wouldn't let me suffer like this. If I was the Lord's, I wouldn't be going through this sickness. I wouldn't be going through this bereavement. I wouldn't be going through all these trials. I, I couldn't be a son of God at all if I'm going through all of this. And so God comes and he he puts his arm around us and he says, My son, that's exactly why you're going through all of this. Because you're my child. So don't be despising these chastenings. And don't be falling apart because I rebuke you by means of these. This is what the apostle is saying. In fact, this is what God is saying to us this morning in the word of God. So the afflictions... The sufferings, they do have many causes. Wicked people can cause them and bring them on. Uh, The devil can cause them and bring them on. Uh, God's own direct hand and providence can cause them and bring them on. But all of them, whatever secondary source they come from, all of them are under the sovereign hand of our Heavenly Father. And he lets nothing inside that shield and box that he puts around us He lets nothing inside that, but he does so as our Heavenly Father, letting it all in, whatever the trial is, from whatever source, he lets it all in for fatherly discipline. So we shouldn't get bitter. My Heavenly Father has allowed this. So bitterness is a no-no. It doesn't go with the grace of God. So God's people are to look upon their trials and sufferings of whatever kind as part of the discipline of their heavenly Father. God is sovereign in all of these sufferings. It is his will, not my will, but thine be done. Didn't the Savior say that? Of the hard thing that he had to face, not my will, but thine be done. Even as a son, he learned obedience, even the Son of God. Not that he was ever disobedient, but he learned new paths of obedience and paths of higher obedience through suffering. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And we're the same. We're part of the same family. He's our elder brother. And we learn the very same. Higher paths of obedience through suffering. Through suffering. So you see, congregation, like Job said, he knows the way that I take. When he's tried me, and he certainly will try me, I'll come forth as gold. I'll be improved. I'll be bettered. And it's not just backsliders. There's a great misunderstanding about this idea of chastisement of a heavenly father. As if it's only the backsliders that are chastened. As if it's only the the grievously sinning Christians that are chastened. That's wrong to think that. It's all of us. All of us. In fact, that's the thing that stands out here in this whole paragraph that we read. Verse 5, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. There's nobody left out at all. It's unto you, to you all. He doesn't distinguish them. He doesn't break them up into little groups. If you're his child, it's unto you that this chastening comes. This exhortation is to you. Verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he scourgeth. He loves all his people. 
Every one of his saints. And he scourges them all. He, he loves them all. They all come under his discipline. And then, what son is he who isn't chastened? There's not a son left out, you see. It's not just the bad sons and the grievously sinning sons and, and the son who's gone off like the prodigal into the far country. He's the one that's near these chasing. No, it's, it's sometimes the son who stays at home and thinks he's very self-righteous and looks down the nose of the other one who's away off into the far country. It's that son too who needs chasing. There's no son without chastening. None. None whatsoever. And verse 8 seals it all. Chastisement whereof all are partakers. Not just the backsliders are partakers, but all are partakers. Every child. There's not one of us, but the Lord chastens us. And there's not something going on in our life, but it's the chasing of the Lord. And you have to recognize that. Don't despise that. As if it's not. This is what Paul is saying here. No. He corrects every one of us. We're all partakers of this chastisement. So it's wrong to single out one Christian and say, you must be a bad Christian. You are being chastened. It's completely wrong to do that. It's completely wrong to go to any individual and single some individual out. It's wrong. Not even Paul does. But it is right to say, all these my father sends me. All these trials your father sends you. And his love to you. To make you better. To discipline you. And this morning I want to ask. Why, why does God do this? Why would he bother to do this? I want to give you some reasons why he does this. Now, first of all. Because we are children. Children, that's all we are. Children. Little children. Children are children. And what are children? Children are small. Children are weak. Children are vulnerable. Children don't know all. In fact, children know really very little in comparison to the Father. And certainly we as children, in comparison to our Heavenly Father, we know practically nothing. In comparison to God. We don't know. We don't know what's good for us. We don't know what's best for us. We don't know the way. We're just children. And children aren't supposed to be picking out their own way. And go the way they choose. And what they think is the best for them. That's how the world looks upon it. You know let your child develop. Let them pick and choose. Let them go whatever way they want. Let them find out. No. They need a higher head. A higher knowledge. They need a person loving. Who knows. Children need discipline. Children need guidance. Children don't have the experience. They are unwise. But our Heavenly Father, He has eternal experience. He is the Ancient of Days. He knows all and He knows everything. And He knows the best for His people. He knows He's all wise. He's infinitely wise. There's no searching of His understanding the father is greater, the children are lesser, and they need his correction. So, so the very fact that we're children, we need this chastisement. We need his word. 
the sharp part of his word, the rebuke, and then we need some prodding and some sharpness, some rod of correction whenever the word is not enough, as often it is not enough. It needs to be accompanied by the Spirit and by the discipline of our Heavenly Father. Because we're children, you see, do you understand that? Have we the humility to at least acknowledge that? Lord, I know nothing, and you know best. And my times, whatever they are, however hard they be, I'm pleased to put them into thy hands. My times are in thy hands. My God, I wish them there, because you're my heavenly Father. So, because we're children. And then another reason is, because Christians are destined to great things. To great things. You know, like a, in a great palace, the, the prince is born, the, the young prince is born, he's destined to become a king. He has to be under a system of discipline whereby he can be made ready to be a king. He just doesn't go onto the throne straight away. He has to be under tutors and under teachers and under discipline. And God looks upon us as that. We're sons. We're born for great things. We have great destination in the new heavens and the new earth. In the palace with God. We're going to sit as kings and princes reigning with God. But we have to be under tutorship until that. We have to be under the word of God. We have to be under the law as our schoolmaster. Rearing us up. Bringing us up onto Christ. Bringing us up onto perfection. And we need all the discipline that goes with that, including the accompanying rod at times. We're destined to great things, you see. Life experiences are all part of that. All the knocks and all the troubles and all the hardships and all the bitter lessons that are learning, they're shaping us, they're molding us, not just for this world, but especially for the world to come. There's a glory that follows that bears our relationship to our present sufferings that we can't always explain, but it's true. The Lord is shaping us. Children of God have to be prepared for their future roles in society, but especially for their future roles in eternity. So life experiences are molding us to that end. Our light affliction, Paul says, which is but for a moment. That's all it is. In comparison to eternity. Just a moment. Don't forget that aspect of it. The temporariness. The brevity of the chastisement. Our light affliction. But for a moment. But it worketh in us and for us. A far greater weight of eternal glory. Do you see? It's preparing for something greater. Something better. That light affliction. It's doing something for you. That will have consequences in the glory of eternity we're being prepared for great things by your crosses by your tears by your bereavements by those burdens that you carry that you, you can't understand and you can't comprehend but the Lord is preparing you for great things so why would you become better why would you let them make you better only for a moment and what you're going to become, what you're going to be. This great end. Another reason is because God loves us as a heavenly father. 
He's too loving to just sit by and do nothing. He sees something in us. He must correct it. He sees something harmful for us. He must remove it. He cannot be inactive around his family. He's not the, you know, the father who, you know, all these problems, all these problem children, and he goes away and locks himself in the room and thinks it'll all sort itself out. No. He's a heavenly father who goes about far more than the devil goes about to destroy us. Our heavenly father goes about to correct us, to shape us and mold us, to, to discipline us. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth the text sense. So his love makes him to do this. His love inclines him to do this. As a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord chasteneth thee. Deuteronomy 8 verse 5. As many as I love, Jesus Christ our Lord says, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Don't be bitter. Don't become worn out and break to pieces and fall apart. Just repent. Just confess your sins and just get closer to the Lord. And then God chastens us because he wants things in us, his children. He wants us to be a certain kind of children. Uh, And what is that? What kind of a child does he want you to be? Well, you will remember his son became incarnate and was a man among men. That's the elder brother. That's what he wants us to be like. He's the perfection. He's the model. He has the family likeness of the heavenly father. He who has seen me has seen the father. He's the likeness of the father. He wants us to have the family resemblance. He wants us to have godliness. Which is God-likeness. Christ-likeness. And so he wants us to bear this, this, this image, this likeness of our Savior. And this epistle to the Hebrews is very clear. God, Jesus Christ is God's own Son. And God's own Son came into the world to be our elder brother and to bring children unto glory. Isn't that how the epistle started? To bring the children unto glory. And one day Jesus Christ will say, My Father, behold I, and the children which you've given me. Well, now we learn from this passage that those children cannot be without discipline, without chastisement. And there's no way they're going to be like Christ apart from it. It's part of the method of making us Christ-likeness. And so we are being brought to glory by Jesus Christ. And we just have to be moulded to be like him. And that takes a bit of work, I tell you. Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that takes a lot of work. We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. As by the Spirit of the Lord. You see it's the Word of God that changes us. Looking into the glass of the Word. And the Spirit of God. And we're changed in the sanctifying grace of God. Through the Word. And the Spirit accompanied that. And now we're learning this morning. That not that only. There's also this discipline. Accompanying the Word. And the Spirit. So the Father's chastening is vital. 
And then to get down to some particulars, and we'll just race through these because the time is proceeding, but to get down to some particulars, the text before us, verses 5 to 11, is very specific. There are at least five reasons why God chastens us, five blessings in chastisement, five blessings in our Heavenly Father's chastening of us. What does the Bible say? Blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth. How are we going to be blessed if the Lord chastens us? What in particular, what specifically will take place if I am under the discipline of my heavenly Father? How am I going to be blessed? How can I be blessed when I lay someone in the grave? How can I be blessed when I'm ministering to a sick person all day long and all weeks and months of the year? How can I be blessed when I'm getting a hard time at work? How can I be blessed when I'm being persecuted and all these things are coming into my life in multitudes, these trials? Blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth. How could it be such a blessing? And the first is correction. Verse 9, uh, we had our fathers of our flesh which corrected us. The correction here is the instruction that stings, that stings. Uh, the wrong, the foolish are given to foolishness and to folly, but the rod can be a means under God. It's not always works. Doesn't always work. Don't think the rod always works, but it can work under God and with His blessing. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far away. From him, it takes the rod to correct us. So, so they, these disciplines are the correction of us. Now, the word of God corrects us, doesn't it? Doesn't Paul say that the scriptures are inspired and given to us for correction? But the word of God sometimes, yeah, very often, is not enough for us. It has to be accompanied with a, a method of discipline. And God sends these trials as part of that. Now, as I said, the rod doesn't always work. I mean, there are simply some children, you can nearly murder them and they won't be changed. They're so rebellious, so set in their ways. And God's people may be like that. In fact, God complained of his people being like that on occasions. Why should you be stricken anymore? You'll just revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. You're, there's not a, an unmarked place on your body from the sole of your feet to the crown of your head. You're covered in your bruises of my chastening. Why would I strike you anymore? I've battered you black and blue and you're still the same. We don't want to be those kind of children. That's an awful thing to be that kind of child. God's people are not to be like that under the rod. Better lessons, sadly, learning. Let us learn. Let us learn. Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they refuse to receive correction. And so if we go through trials, brethren and sisters, let us, let us humble ourselves. Let us get before our Father. And just humble ourselves, not to despise it, not to reject the chastisement. Just to say, Lord, forgive me. 
and give me true humility of heart and more likeness unto Jesus Christ. The second thing is the blessing is life. What does it say there in verse 9? Our fathers corrected us, we give them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? What a wonderful word. Live. We want to live. We want to have the life of eternal life in our soul to a, a flourishing degree. We want to be alive saints. And discipline makes us live. It makes us to be alive. You see, children who are chastened by their parents aren't killed by their parents. It doesn't endanger their lives. Withhold not the correction from the child. If you beat him with the rod, he'll not die. He'll live. He still lives after he gets a beating because it's for correction. The Lord wants us to live. God doesn't kill his children, you know. The Lord's not trying to kill you with all these afflictions and trials. The devil may be trying to kill you. The ungodly may be trying to kill you. But that's not what God is trying to do. God's not trying to kill you. God's bringing to you life. He's given to you the best life that you could possibly have through your trials. He's making you to live. A living that will go on into eternity. And live. What a wonderful word. You should underline that. And live. And live. Don't you want to live? Lord, quicken me. I want to live. I want to be a quickened saint. Quicken me with your word. And all these afflictions, may they quicken me. Quicken me. Live. And so your, your life on earth will be better by God's chastening. Sin will be deadened. Sin will be ruined. The life will go out of sin. It's sin that brings misery and death. And God chastens us to make us happier and brighter. Chastisement is the improvement of our life. Now you might find that hard to believe. The world can't believe it at all. But the world has a different definition of life and living. I mean the adulteress. What does the Bible say? She's dead while she's living. She thinks she's alive and living. But God says she's dead. She doesn't have the life that I have for sinners through my son Jesus Christ. It's that kind of life. A, a spiritual life. A life of godliness. A life of the Holy Spirit's peace and joy. The wicked are dead while they live. God wants his people alive while they live. Alive to him. Alive to eternity. Alive to the truth of his word. He wants them to have a life of humility. A life of thankfulness to God. A life of trust and a life of obedience. This is life. This is life. Do you know there are people who have been given life by their trials to such an extent that they wouldn't change them? There are blind people who have been brought such blessedness in their life that they wouldn't unblind themselves. They become poets. They become better thinkers. They become closer to God. Something has happened in the, in the cross that they were given that has brought them to the improvement of life. Blessed is the man whom the Lord chastened. They all tell you that. Fanny Crosby, all the rest of them. All those poets and hymn writers who wrote those things under the heaviest crosses that they bore. 
So there's a new life through trial. It can change you for good and for the better. The third thing is it's not about God's own pleasure but his people's profit. And profit is the important word. Here's another word to underline profit. Verse 10, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure but he for our profit. Our profit. That's benefit. Our blessing. There you have it. It makes us richer, not poorer. It makes us, spiritually speaking, more wealthy, not more destitute. It gives us something. Now, not the profit of the world, not the profit where one gains a whole world and he loses his own soul, not that kind of profit, but the profit where even if you lose a whole world, you have something in your soul. Spiritual profit. The profit that God measures and calls profit. The prophet that enriches the soul. The prophet that endears God more to the soul. The world thinks of prophet in a carnal way, but God knows what true prophet is and where true prophet is found. And to bring us to the true prophet requires a system of fatherly discipline. Our Lord would not impoverish us. Our Lord would enrich us. And we are enriched through the trials that he sends us. These chastisements, the prophet of humility, the prophet of Christian experience, the prophet of having spiritual understanding and new spiritual discernment through the trials, the prophet of spiritual power, the prophet of spiritual likeness to the Lord, the prophet of being able to learn sympathy with others, the prophet of The going away of the critical spirit. The driving of that away from us. And having in its place a melted kindness for others. This prophet does not come easy. The merciful spirit does not come without scourging. And then the fourth specific reason is the highest and most wonderful prophet of all. Verse 10, partakers of his holiness. Here's another benefit to underline. Partakers of his holiness. You know, the the theologians haven't a clue what that means. There's something profound here. The word means eating, feeding. Feeding on the holiness of God. Wow. What could this mean? It's truly awesome. Whatever it means, well, it surely means nearness to God, closeness to God, enjoying God, who is holy, being able to enjoy Him in eternity, becoming like Him, eating His holiness, and becoming like Him, it becoming part of you. Whatever this is, this profoundness, It's the trials and the discipline that brings the people of God to that. This is what God desires, you see. Close fellowship. He doesn't want people to run away and be scared of him, of his holiness. But he wants people to be so close to him that his holiness doesn't scare them, but rather his holiness they want to eat and devour. It's a profound statement. And there are great depths here. 
Perhaps Peter has touched on the thought whenever he said, There are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers, I think it's the same word, partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. That's profound. And I don't know that the Bible scholars and the theologians have really got to the heart of what that means to partake of the divine nature. It's awesome. And discipline is part of it. And then lastly, very quickly, the last specific mentioned is verse 11, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Ah, we cannot be fruitful without the rebuke of our Heavenly Father or without his scourging us, his whipping us, his chastening us, the fruit of righteousness, the love and the joy Especially the peace is highlighted. The peaceable future of righteousness. This peace in your soul. In the midst of the storm. In the midst of the trial. In the midst of the persecution. This overriding peaceableness. As you bring forth fruit. Unto the glory of God. So congregation. Don't despise then the chastening of the Lord. Which is what all of these afflictions are. Every one of them. Every one of them. Whether they come from the devil or come from men. Or mysterious providence. It's your heavenly father who lets them in on you. Don't despise them. Don't get bitter. And throw up the arms and moan and complain and grumble. And behave like the devil. No. Make and lowly under these afflictions. Don't faint under them. But let us, as the Bible says, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He shall exalt us in due time. And what a great exaltation it shall be an exaltation to glory. But it won't be without all these troubles. Remember this, people of God. Remember this.